This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dot, I assume Tom. Today we are discussing a very heavy topic, and I am lucky enough to have Vanessa Morris, Communications Director for the Foundation United, talking to us about grooming and human trafficking, uh, something we've already discussed with the sextortion documentary that will be premiering at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Uh, we are going to be on the other side of the state now in Sarasota, Florida. Vanessa, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, RC. Uh, the pleasure is mine. This is something... Uh, I want to make mention, you know, we've become numb to war, we've become numb to famine and human struggle, but one thing I think we should never become numb to, no matter how often uh, we, we speak about this, is human trafficking, child molestation, sexploitation, any of these things, and uh, this needs to be continuously shouted from the rooftops uh, for the people that don't want to hear it and the people that have become numb to these topics, so thank you for speaking with me about this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, what was your initial interest in the in the subject matter itself? Because I know, um, you know, January wa- was uh, human. I believe it was uh, Human Trafficking Awareness yeah. Month, and the fact that there has to be an awareness month is kind of disheartening. And that this should be a uh, a minute by minute awareness situation. Absolutely. I've been in this field now for over a decade. Uh, working in the anti-sex trafficking movement, but really it started a long time ago because I am the daughter of a survivor and no one was talking about sex trafficking when she was growing up or when I was growing up. And it was definitely something that I was exposed to from a very early age, up close and personal. Um, but no one even used that term sex trafficking, right? So I just thought my mom's a prostitute or that sexual abuse is just a normal thing in my family line when absolutely it shouldn't have been normalized for all those years. I know people that have been through these situations themselves, whether it was molestation or, Mm -hmm. you know, being prostituted out for people or things of that sort, which is a horrible tragedy, uh, across any line, any age group, any gender, um, When you find this out about your mother, uh, you know, initially you had the notion of prostitution versus what it really was in this regard. Does your perception of her change or was there still this weird resentment of holding on to the notion of her being a hooker versus that's a great question. Right. I did learn what the reality was. I learned the fact that no little girl or little boy says when I grow up, I want to sell my body for sex. It's just not the reality. And she never would have chosen this life for herself. And, you know, working with survivors for over the past 10 years, I have seen that that textbook sort of, you know, the way their stories happen in this root of childhood sexual abuse happening from such an early age. It grooms them to say yes to things down the line that they never would have said yes to, steals their their voice, their self-value, uh, boundary lines are blurred. And by the time she had me, she was really just a shell of the the person that she once was and didn't know that there was even a way out. Um, I had made mention of the documentary that would be at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, but it seems from their research and from your work and even your mother's survival, there's this pattern 
of either having been sexually abused mm. or mental illness to want to sexually abuse somebody or narcissism. And then there are certain things once they break somebody, uh, you know, and I, I was referring this the other day, uh, there was that show different strokes in the eighties. And there was one episode where Dudley almost gets molested by the nice guy, the nice guy, quote unquote, who owned the bicycle shop. Mm. Yeah. And the grooming in the show progresses. Oh, well, you know, children drink wine in France. We can drink wine here or, you know, Hey, take your shirt off. Let's take these pictures and, and all these things that are, that are going about. And then there was also in real life where you'd talk to people and they'd say, you know, I was told if I told on this adult, right. my parents would be mad at me and I would be punished. Right. Is this the, the common part of the breakdown the, that continuously works after all these generations yeah. of the suffering? Everything you said is is right on. We know that one out of three little girls and one out of five little boys, and this is just what's reported, right? So I honestly would venture to say statistics are much higher. One out of three girls, one out of five boys are sexually abused as children. And so we know that this is the root that is taking place. It, it doesn't uh, discriminate between Ace, rage, gender, socioeconomic background, faith background. This is across the board that this is happening. And predators know exactly how to prey on the vulnerabilities of children. And children, they want to feel safe. They want to feel loved. And many times, exactly what you said, sort of that manipulation of um, this has to be our little secret. And if you tell anyone, they either won't believe you or you'll be in trouble. Or if you tell maybe I'll do this to your sister or I'll, I'll hurt your parent or, you know, there's so many different narratives that they use, but the bottom line is they're in a position of power in one way or another over a child. And they use that to exploit the vulnerabilities of a child to keep them in their control. Uh, let's move up the food chain in, in a sense. Uh, you know, we recently had the conviction of Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey right. Epstein's right-hand woman. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And she's going down, you know, as the, the fall guy for all of this, yet nobody is getting exposed. I mean, Prince Andrew is kind of the one because right. he was stripped of his titles and now he has to make donations. He just settled. Know. Right. right. Basically you know. out the window. Yeah. Why is there this weird level of protecting the higher ups? Like, you know, Steve, the guy in the van is one thing. But these these powerful people are something else that are still being preserved. Right. That, you know, that really speaks to one thing we always say that it's overdue. Like the time is now. We cannot allow power or money or systems that have once, you know, protected the perpetrators. We can't allow that anymore. Our biggest goal, our biggest focus is to get ahead of it. And to help our kids to be empowered in our families, in our school systems, our law enforcement, our hospitals, all of those systems to be empowered so that we can uh, help those who have been affected by this. But really to get ahead of it and prevent our kids from falling into those traps because power protects power many times. And we want them to know that there is absolutely nothing that should be able to um, keep you from being heard. And if you tell one person and they don't help you, you go to the next person until you are heard and until you're helped. So if we can put this uh, this idea and this education into our children from a very early age, 
it won't matter what power is trying to exploit them because they'll know, you know, these tools of, you know, what is safe touch? What is a safe screen? Who can I go to, to trust, to help me? And they'll be able to identify that so that they can't be exploited by the the power machine, you know, whether that is a neighbor who's powerful over them or a pastor or a politician or, you know, so it really won't matter. And that's something that we want to um, help people understand is like, this is happening to people from all walks of life, but also people, like you said, the rich and powerful, it's happening, you know, there it's happening in churches. Sometimes it's happening in online chat rooms and gaming platforms, social media. And so we can just equip our kids to see that no matter where it comes from, we can get ahead of it. We can stop it. That's how we can, that's how we can end this ultimately. Uh, I'm going to use the term uh, adult entertainment industry in mm. comparison to a specific word, because there are sites that have been flagged and have done nothing about it where people in the videos have been abused. And I hate that I can't use these words because I don't want the video flagged for what they really are. Cause I want people mm-hmm. to, to see our conversation, you know, but the trafficking that's there, the abuse that's there, the right. being against their will that that's depicted, the minors that are involved. And then not and, having any power to take those videos down. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I made mention of this and, you know, I'm not going to be, use accusatory language because people have their own ideals of what, what arouses them. But I said in the old days, you had to be a true pervert because before the invention of film, you had to go to a live show. And then mm-hmm. when the invent, advent of film came, now you had the ability to go to a theater, but you're still in public and there's still these settings. And eventually to the bookstores and then eventually the home video market. Now it's, and in, now your it's pocket. in my pocket, you know, for someone that would have been deterred, uh, you know, let's say five generations ago before the ad- adventation of film to now being able to go on social media platforms, right. gaming sites, chat rooms that, right. that were big 15, 20 years ago and so on and so forth. With the adult entertainment being industry being that easily accessible in transitioning from a live performance to in your pocket to physically wanting to go out and harm somebody to now having instant access from your living room, you know, how much easier is it for these people to get involved from their psychological standpoint of being the predator in regards to also how do we protect our kids from this? Like, are there courses to teach them internet etiquette? Right. That's a great question. So we know that every single day, there are over half a million predators online who are searching for our kids. Standard every single day. One out of nine kids. And again, we're saying this is just what's statistically reported. I would venture to say it is much higher because Sadly, many kids don't report and they don't know how to do that. And parents aren't talking about this, you know, uncomfortable issue and normalizing these conversations. But one out of nine kids is approached by a predator online. And this can be from the comfort of their living room or their bedroom, right? These are our kids who predators know where our kids are, right? Our kids are on social media. Our kids are on gaming sites. Our kids are on these different apps. And it's easy, easy access. And of course, they're never saying, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm going to, you know, exploit you and, and, you know, manipulate you and control you and all of those things. They don't say that. They say, 
oh, hey, I know your friend. We go to the same school or, you know, I'm on, I play on that soccer team or, oh, I was just at this concert and they're going to know this kid already plays the sports. This, this kid go, likes this band. This kid likes these things, hangs out with these people, goes to the school because our kids are posting everything and using things like geotags and, you know, not having the right privacy settings on their uh, social media and the different things that they're using. We're not normalizing the conversation of how to stay safe online and what predators would do to, you know, gain access to you, what to do if you're approached by a predator or, you know, if something goes wrong, you know, it's not that you'll be in trouble. It's my job is to keep you safe. So you bring everything to me. Like we don't have secrets. We don't have, you know, the, the things that are off limits and creating those conversations. That's not typically being had. And that's what we desperately want to make normalized and, and to help our kids and to help our families. So one of the ways that we do that is through our prevention program. So we have a prevention pillar at the Foundation United, and we are coming at this really from all angles because it's going to take a holistic approach, you know, helping kids, equipping families, equipping schools in order to get ahead of this. So one of our programs is called Speak Up, appropriately named, right? So it's called Speak Up, and it goes in and trains entire schools, entire school systems for K through 12, every faculty staff member, whether it's a teacher, a principal, lunch lady, security guard, the social worker, uh, and equips them on, you know, what are the signs to look out for the red flags? What are the tactics of predators? What do I do if I feel unsafe or if a peer, you know, has disclosed something to me? Who can I speak up to? So that's our speak up program that is um, in the school system. And we're in our national pilot right now, partnered with universities, uh, our university research partners, Yale and Michigan State. So it's exciting to see that even just in our first rollout, we have had kids come forward and be able to disclose and get the help that they need. That's on the school system side. We also know that, unfortunately, that's not enough. We have to reach families and kids at home. So we partner with the Cool Ant series, which is I really just for lack of a better term, it's cool. Like she's super cool. Rachel Thomas is awesome. And she leads that. And it's a resource, uh, a cinematic resource that parents can do, preteens and teenagers can all have at home. And it talks to them, use that term sextortion. So it teaches them about sextortion, how to stay safe online. How would a predator approach me? You know, how can I stay safe against those things? And those are two of the different um, resources that we have for families, for teens. But we also have a great page on our website that is um, the foundationunited.org slash stats and resources. And it has a ton of information on how to have these conversations, no matter how old your kid is, how to set the right, you know, privacy settings, protocols to really create a gate, like be the gatekeeper for your kids and help them know what to do. Because like you said, it's in their pocket and predators know exactly how to come at them. So we got to get there first. Uh, this is going to be a, a two-parter question. Um, okay. You know, first of all, the parent's responsibility. Yeah. Uh, let's go back 120 years, the advent of the radio, you know, before you actually had to pay attention to your kids and focus on what they were doing, and they'd help you in the kitchen, they'd help you clean the house, sure. they'd help you on the farm before full urbanization and industrialization. And if you were you know, poor enough, you had to force your six-year-old to go work in the factory. Mm -hmm. The radio comes, the radio kind of becomes a babysitter. Here, go listen to this while mm -hmm. I'm going to wash the dishes. 
you know, the TV comes, the TV becomes the babysitter. The VCR, the DVD, et cetera, become that. Eventually, you know, Teddy Ruxpin becomes the absentee parent where the, where the tape in a moving, uh, you know, animatronic bear is reading to the child. And then now the internet becomes the babysitter. Mm. Uh, how do parents get involved when we've used these tools to become the babysitter in essentially we need to get our work done, but we're also kind of neglecting our kids at that point as well. Yeah. I think one of the greatest things that parents can do is to not fit the stereotype of the parent who doesn't know anything about technology. You know, I speak to parents all the time and some of them, it's like, they don't even know how to answer their text, you know? So our kids have been born into a world where as early as they can hold the phone, that's when they have the phone, right? So that's when they're having the the tablet or the smart device, whatever it might be. It's super normal to them and second nature for them to be able to swipe and figure out all the things. It might not be as second nature to parents, but it's our job. So we have to take that job seriously. So learning how to set those, uh, those safety protocols. And again, on our resource page, it literally walks you through no matter what device it is, how to do that. And, um, you know, making sure that we are, we're relevant, you know, like our kids every other week, there's like a new lingo. So being able to know, okay, what do certain emojis mean? What do certain acronyms mean? Staying up to date and being able to have, you know, different, there's different software that you can download again, that's linked on our website that you can set up so that you can set different privacy controls, different screen time limits. It, the bottom line is people, yes, they're using it as a babysitter, but it's not a babysitter. So we have to be able to, to create safeties and guardrails to protect our kids. And the follow-up to this, because we obviously parents and relatives and responsible adults need to protect children at all costs, I fully believe. Um, and you know, with, with all of this going on, now we look to the schools and the schools have a responsibility as well. But I've noticed how do we teach the kids about the sexploitation right. aspect of things when, you know, people have those uncomfortable conversations about the trafficking aspect, yet some school districts are sexualizing children too soon. So where do we find the balance between sexualizing children and sexual protection? I think that sexual protection always has to come at the forefront. It always has to be the lead in, in every conversation, protecting our kids. That has to be the number one priority. And our schools should be extremely safe for our kids. They should have eyes to see and ears to hear, but many times they just don't. And our teachers and our school staff, they are just at their limit, right? Because they have so much thrown at them, especially in the time of COVID. They've had to just turn on a dime and implement so many different things. And that's why our Speak Up curriculum is so amazing and vital because it's super turnkey. We didn't want to add something else to the plate of educators, right? We wanted to come in as a support and, and a way for them to have these hard, hard conversations, to be able to have eyes to see, have ears to hear, so that if a child comes up and says, you're my safe adult, they're not just thinking, oh, they really like me. They're knowing this is a, this is like a vocab word that we've taught in these trainings. And I know that this kid needs me to actually tune in and it's something serious and important, you know, so giving our educators all the tools they need so that 
they're even aware of the problem because like you said, like this is still unfortunately a relatively new conversation. Many, many people that we speak to, they have never heard the term sextortion and sex trafficking is the thing that only happens, you know, over there and kids in cages. They're, they're not understanding that it's starting with this root of childhood sexual abuse. So if we can help our schools and our families understand that, that's a major piece to the puzzle. You, know, you are the daughter of someone that suffered through this. Um, how does someone like your mother break the pattern? And how do we teach people who have now become parents that endured this, whether it's generational or they're the first one that ever suffered this, to break that mold? Yeah. Sexual abuse is absolutely cyclical. It's a generational um, thing that we see many, many times. And because it's so silenced and because so many people have not talked about this issue or had the toolkit to address it, it continues, right? So it happened to the grandmother or the grandfather and then the, then the mom and then the grandchild. And it was certainly generational in my family had roots throughout my family line. And my mom, without even knowing it, was grooming me to follow right in her footsteps. So whether that was how I dressed, uh, what men, what the purpose of men is, how I get what I need, how I provide. So I'm, you know, 12, 13 years old learning the, you know, getting this messaging. And for me, I was incredibly fortunate to have an incredible family that stepped in right at the nick of time because I was 14 years old when they took me in, my aunt and uncle, who actually happened to be pastors. So I say, you know, only the daughter of, only God can take the daughter of a prostitute and make him a pastor's kid, right? So it was like bizarre to go from one life to another, but they did. And I'm so glad they stepped in at that point because, you know, 12 to 14 is the average age of entry into sex trafficking. So I was right, right on that, right on that cusp. And I know that, you know, for my mom, it would have repeated the cycle had I not had family step in. The reason it happened to her and the reason it happened generations before was because no one was addressing the the topic. No People, there wasn't a foundation united around back then. People weren't saying, okay, this kid has in my class has some red flags going on. She was this way last year, but this year she came back and she's just, you know, now she's shut down or now, you know, we love to throw labels around. Now she's just a promiscuous girl, right? There's no such thing as a seventh grade slut. That's what our founder CEO says. I love that because it's just a little girl that got her boundaries stolen. There's no such. So no one in the education system saw the signs. She was in church every single Sunday, but no one talked about what happened behind closed doors, you know, at, in her home. So there wasn't a framework. There wasn't a language. No one was working to prevent it or to see the, the signs. Then later she was, you know, involved, um, in and out of the criminal justice system. And instead of saying something's going on, like, why does a person do that? It wasn't, you know, trying to figure out the root and get help. It was, oh, she's just a prostitute or she's just an addict or she just works in adult entertainment or, you know, whatever it might be. So if we can, you know, equip systems to address this, then it won't continue to be generational. I think it was so generational for me and for so many others because there wasn't a solution before. Now we have the solution. Uh, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Go for it. Okay. Uh, after being taken in by your aunt and uncle who are mm-hmm. clergy 
And, uh, and thank God for that, that they were able to save you from right. this. At some point, were you ever able to reestablish a connection with your biological mother? Yeah. And how did that healing process begin? Because some people will never get that closure. Right. Uh, you know, either somebody passes away from an overdose, is murdered, right. you know, or just the complete shutout and never want to deal with each other. Is there a chance for that closure? Whether you might never be as tight as you were before, right. but that healing process. Right. Um, so part of, of my testimony and my mom's is that she actually passed away when she was 51. And, you know, she was out of the life by miraculous series of events, but she, she was never truly like fully healed. There wasn't a foundation around for her. There, there weren't those solutions in existence yet. And I think that if there had been all the way down the line, things would have been much different for her, but um, at the, at the end of her life, we did reconnect. And for me, I attribute so much of that to my faith, um, to my faith. And also now being able to take that part of her story and my story weave together and use it not as something that holds me down, but rather as something that propels me forward to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen. And I believe that if we can just talk about these things, right, have the hard conversations, if we can just talk to our kids, if someone would have talked to me, oh, man, if someone would have just dug a little deeper, I was crying out for help without crying, you know, Um, desperately wanted help, but nobody saw the signs. And so for me, there was a reconciliation as much as there could be. But the way that we can help others get that reconciliation, I think, is to be able to bring these solutions in now that we have. Because if I would have just known, oh, this is what was really happening, it would have changed things a lot along the way and been able to get her help and me help as well. Uh, there's something I want to I want to make reference to. You know, you have your faith and that, you know, sometimes clergy overstep their boundaries and are abusers as well. Yeah. Um, I I often say, you know, the devil hides in the house of God because who knows God better than the devil? Uh, Please, clergy, vet anyone that just walks into the church and instantaneously, and this is for all religions, not just Christianity across the board, um, vet the people that are instantly interested in being a part of children's ministry. Right. You know, you have to vet them. Not, oh, thank God we finally got somebody that wants to help work with these kids. When so many other volunteers won't, you still have to vet them because you never know what their ulterior motive is and make sure they've at least been a part of the parish for a minimum of a year. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we have a really exciting new program that we just launched out of our ministry arm called Real Talk, right? So we've been talking about like, how do we have these conversations? It is long overdue for the church to be at the forefront of these conversations and to make our churches really bulletproof because Quite honestly, we're sick and tired of seeing another pastor in a sex trafficking sting, right? Another fallen leader, another abuse case, another scandal. So we have created a program called Real Talk that equips the entire church, not only from the leadership down to the kindergartners, right? Teaching them about, you know, and not only sex trafficking, but this root sexual abuse, like how do we prevent it? How do we keep our kids safe? But then what about our, our leaders who are carrying around their own junk and their own addictions and um, our men and women who are sitting in our pews every week, but nobody's having the real talk? How do we bring them healing? 
how do we help them process and get through this? And so we've created a program that, that does that for the entire church. And uh, I think that the church should be at the forefront of this conversation. Is that, and sorry to get theological on this for, for the audience that aren't too familiar with the multiple branches of Christianity, sure. but would that be the downside of evangelical Protestantism versus high church Protestant and high church, you know, Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, where Anglican, Catholic, Orthodox, and even high church Lutherans, at least in Europe, still have confession and can actually go seek, you know, pastoral counseling versus the evangelical churches that don't have a form of confession or counseling with their ministers? Yeah, well, confession is is biblical, right? Compress one to another. And whether this is the the high Roman Catholic church, or this is an Orthodox church, or this is an evangelical church, or whatever it might be, this program is for the entire scope. And it's to get to the root and get healing there. And then on the other end, to prevent it before it happens to our kids. Um. You know, this is a a harsh situation, you know, and I'm so sorry for anybody that ever has to go through this. My heart goes out to them, you know, and I think we need more people that are willing to be empathetic and not just sympathetic for this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, we have to weep with those who weep, right? Mourn with those who mourn. We have to be there in the trenches with one another. That is, that's our job. That's, that's what we're called to, but not to stay there, to pull them up, Right. Because we know that this is, this is, makes you even more powerful, right? The enemy has tried to steal something from the time that these kids were just, you know, little boys, little girls. And then many times they grow up in the church and, and we know that we're called to have a voice. We're called to walk in authority and power. And so that's what we want to do. And we want to eradicate this from the face of the earth, whether it's in the church or the secular world or whatever. We know that it's our job to protect our kids and to get ahead of it. With, with your organization, I mean, you have a strong Christian background. You have a strong Christian faith. Thankfully for for you know your aunt and uncle who helped you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the secular people or people of different faiths? You know, whether they're Muslim or Jewish. You know, from other right. Abrahamic religions or Hinduism or Taoism or even just full blown atheists that sit there. Right. Ah, they deal with this God stuff. I don't want to deal with them. How mm-hmm. do you even out the playing field for either secularists or people of different faiths? Yeah. So the bottom line is no matter what the background is, we just said earlier, it doesn't discriminate. Sexual abuse doesn't care what your faith is, doesn't care what your socioeconomic background is, doesn't care what, you know, ethnicity you are. It doesn't care. We know that predators are out to exploit the vulnerabilities of children regardless across the board. So what we want to do is protect every single kid no matter what the background is, we want to equip every single family. And one of the, like I said earlier, the Cool Ant series, families can go right now and just download that and have that resource in their hand, right? If predators are going to have, you know, debauch or window debauchery in, in their pocket, we should have the solution in our pocket. And that's what we're able to give them across the board so that we can protect every single child. And one exciting thing is that we are actually, uh, we partner with Operation Underground Railroad, who's amazing and all over the world. And we're in the midst of translating our prevention curriculum to go completely global and reach kids in multiple countries, which is so exciting. Uh, you know, you want to reach kids in multiple countries, which is absolutely phenomenal. Are the same patterns for predators across the board international, regardless of language or culture or custom? Or is there like developed world triggers versus, right. you know, developing world? 
right? So of course we know there are different cultural aspects to, to everything. Um, however, this root of childhood sexual abuse, we are seeing across the board as a common thread. And if we can help kids to know that there, there is a way to speak up, that they have power and they have value and there are people there to help them, then we can, we can eradicate it, whether it's in nationally or internationally. You know, Vanessa, there's something we also didn't touch upon and I'd like to expand upon. I mean, we briefly mentioned it in the very beginning and I'm glad that internationally this is going to be taken care of and we can find the patterns. Uh, female predators versus male predators. Right. Which there are both. And why don't people address the female predator aspect of it? You know, like when you find out that somebody was 13 and his predator was a 25 year old woman or a 35 year old woman, and then they'll make light of it and go, oh, he got lucky because, you mm. know, boys will be boys. And, you know, he got to be with an older woman and that's everybody's fantasy at that age or whatever, you know, nonsense that is. Um, why is it more dismissible or even, uh, you know, looked upon with praise where the younger adolescent male is being tortured essentially right. by this older woman? And it's just turned a blind eye to. Yeah, I think many times it just comes back to lack of knowledge. Many times people are not, um, they, they're not even aware that this is happening. And so they're going with the cultural stereotype of, you know, like you said, uh, and addressing it in that way when they're not even aware of what exploitation is. They, they think sex trafficking. Okay, now they've learned about that. They have no idea that it can actually happen because a woman is the predator or a woman is the, you know, the exploiter or the trafficker. But like we said, one out of three girls, one out of five boys, and it can come from, you know, a romantic relationship where they're grooming them that way, or it can come from befriending them. Uh, there are many different tactics that predators can use, but ultimately what they'll do is gain their trust and then exploit that. And then you you control and manipulate them to keep that secret. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to the lack of education and knowledge about this topic overall. Um, which, uh, sorry, it's just mind boggling how, mm. how this happens. Um, but we've also noticed a trend in the last 40 years with the lack of the presence of the father in the home. Mm -hmm. How does that affect these situations when there's not that father figure around, whether it's for the young girls or for the young boys, especially when it hits that 12 to 14 mark of that's not only when the trafficking begins, but also when families tend to split up is mm -hmm. when the kids are preteen or teenagers. Right. So when we look at vulnerabilities and risk factors, every kid has a risk factor, right? They uh, have access to technology. They want to be accepted by their, their peers. They want to have a sense of independence and, um, and individuality. We look at those across the board risk factors, but then there's also the tier up of what is the higher, more, more at risk. I say every single child is at risk because bottom line is every kid has those underlying things, but there are also the, the higher risk. And one of the higher risk, uh, factors is coming from a broken home. So we see that as one of the, the common threads that makes them sort of like a, a tier two risk factor for, um, for kids to fall into this. And so that, that's something we should be more cognizant of. Absolutely.
um, you know, with everything that's going on, you know, whether it's clergy or coaches or absent right. parents or people you should be able to trust. Yeah. And that's the heartbreaking part is that these are the people we're supposed to trust mm. with our kids and, you know, ours is, as, as a whole society. I mean, you know, not, I don't have any kids myself, but I always worry about people that do because, you know, what is the first sign? whether someone that doesn't have children should notice. And then what is definitely the first sign that parents should notice? Right. So there are many signs across the board that people should be aware of. But when you're talking about like the people that, that we should be able to trust, one of the things I want to hit on is the fact that we, in our curriculum, we teach kids about the difference in a secret and a surprise right? Because a secret is something that you're not supposed to tell anybody. And, you know, there might be consequences if you do that's common language of predators versus a surprise. Eventually, you know, maybe mom and dad are going to find out anyways, and we'll be happy when we find out. So teaching them the importance of language, um, also teaching them about their, their safe adults. Okay. So we use a term called a trust triangle triangle, because that's easy for kids to remember, right? So a triangle has one, two, three points. Who are three of your safe adults? We don't go for the stereotype of, okay, every police officer, every doctor, every pastor, every whatever coach um, might be safe because maybe the kid is suffering at the hands of someone who should be safe, right? So we tell them, get three people in your trust triangle who you can speak up to if you feel unsafe. So that is just language, I think, is super important to equipping our kids and keeping them safe. But some of the top indicators um, have to do with a history of, you know, emotional, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Um, we, we talked about the root of sex, uh, sexual abuse being sort of the common thread within many uh, sex trafficking survivors. So obviously sexual abuse is, is a huge red flag. Um, another thing might be all of a sudden the unexplainable appearance of extravagant gifts. All of a sudden, you know, the, the girl last week had a backpack from Walmart and now she's in the classroom with a, you know, Fendi handbag. That's a red flag. The kid has the newest iPhone. When you know, where did they get that iPhone? You know, that, that doesn't add up or the, the latest like Air Force ones, whatever it might be, all of a sudden, that appearance of extravagant gifts, or maybe the presence of an older boyfriend or older girlfriend, even, right? We've talked about it can be male or female. And maybe all of a sudden they're isolating. They were really involved. They were really outgoing. And now all of a sudden they're, they're really isolated and cutting off from the people that they once had strong relationships with. All of those are different red flags that they can look out for. I always say, trust your gut, right? We have intuition. We know if something's just off, if we feel that way, it probably is, you know, um, if you see maybe uh, a child who's in the presence of a very controlling adult, you know, they, it's not just they're holding their hand to keep them safe and close. It's they're controlling them. They're answering all the questions for them. The child, maybe is the child's looking down and, and won't make eye contact, inconsistent stories, things like that nature are all red flags to look out for. You know, there's, the, you know, we want this prevent to be preventative and thank you for speaking right. up and for everything else that the foundation is doing. How do we now go about helping the survivors if mm. we weren't lucky enough to prevent this? Right. Which in, you know, is sad, but true that, that there are these kids that fall through the cracks, right. And, uh, who go undetected. And then later in life, they're, you know, they're caught in this life and not knowing that there's a way out. So another one of our pillars is protection 
And that's where we are training entire, the entire criminal justice system, you know, the front lines, law enforcement, judges, state attorneys, so that they know how to find these survivors, what questions to ask, how to build a successful case, and how to successfully identify these victims of this crime, but not just the front lines on the criminal justice system, our healthcare uh, has to be completely trained. And we know that it's, you know, almost 90%, I think it's 88% of victims of this crime seek help in a medical environment. So typically like an emergency room. And because of lack of knowledge, they are turned away by the, the, you know, they're bandaged up and then turned right back into the arms of their trafficker because typically healthcare providers haven't known what they're looking at. So we're able to go in. We've already trained through our partnership with global strategic operatives over half a million healthcare providers, not only in the United States within the biggest healthcare systems, but also internationally in multiple countries so that when these victims come forward, they know what questions to ask and how to help them. And then if they need that, you know, that aftercare, we also have what we call our provision pillar where we partner with, um, uh, safe housing and aftercare so that these survivors can get the, the trauma informed care they need to fully heal. What do we tell people in allowing them not only to go to your organization, but, you know, a safe adult or, you know, a, a safe place like a hospital or even clergy or the police or the fire department or wherever that they find, you know, this place of solace that they're being heard? Like, how do we allow them to know that they will be listened to and that they will at the very least be heard? So some of the the great resources that are out there are things like the National Human Trafficking Hotline. If they call, they'll be directly connected to someone who can help. And I can drop that number here as well. It's 888-3737-888. So that's the national hotline that they can call. And that can be whether you're a survivor um, and you're looking for help, or if you suspect that something is going on, that's a great hotline to be able to contact, to reach out to. If they go into a place like a hospital or, um, you know, like you said, a number, wherever they're seeking help, many times they're not identifying as, oh, I'm, you know, this is my name, I'm being trafficked or I'm being exploited. They're not identifying themselves as victims. And many times it might take months for them to be able to self-identify. So that's why it's so important that we're training these systems because, you know, historically they haven't been able to see what exactly they're looking at. But we had a law enforcement officer who went through our training. He said it was like coming in with one eye and leaving with two. Like, I just didn't know what was in front of me, but now I know. Now I know what to look for so that, when an officer is looking at a case now where before they wouldn't have been able to identify that girl because she wasn't saying, hi, I'm, you know, being trafficked. None of them are going to say that, but he or she can look at the case and say, I see what's going on. I see that evidence. I see that behavior. And that's the goal is to train the entire system so that we're no longer perpetuating the crime, but they know how to actually be the frontline defenders that they want to be. Uh, Vanessa, one, one more thing. Um, I know you're very busy and I thank you so much for your time today and I'm, you know, mulling all this over and I'm going to have to re-listen to this a couple of more times. It's a lot. It is. It really is. And, you know, human suffering, uh, you know, whether it's mass genocide all the way to this, 
you know, we have to be cognizant of. What about those being trafficked that suffer from Stockholm syndrome, where they're in love with their trafficker or, you know, have convinced themselves that this is a loving, romantic, mm-hmm. or even, you Which know, is very common. union relationship. Yeah. Right. Right. It's very common. Stockholm syndrome, I would say, is probably one of the, the most common uh, things that survivors of this crime have to process through. And so that's why those that we partner with, we only partner with those who um, have the highest level of outcome standards and measurements working in this field, people who understand, okay, how do we, how do we help a victim clear from Stockholm syndrome? What kind of therapeutic avenues need to be taken? What kind of trauma informed care needs to be given to the survivor? Because it is absolutely something where she might say, oh, who wasn't trafficking me? That was my boyfriend right? Or no, 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 we're like, we're good. Like we're in love. He wants to take care care of me and build a life with me. And that is actually one of the terms, this Romeo pimp is actually one of the key terms that we hear a lot where they'll use romance and use this promise of love and a better life. And who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want relationship, right? But if you're a little kid who was sexually abused and has been manipulated since you were, you know, four, five, six years old, don't really have a framework for what that is. That's what happened to my mom. She didn't really know what she was saying yes to. And this is what we see across the board with survivors. They have no idea that what they're saying yes to, that's not authentic. That's not real love. That's not what it means to be safe. And so we have to be able to work with our partners to be able to break those invisible chains off of these survivors. Yeah. Vanessa Morris, thank you so much for your time today. I know the found, the CEO of the Foundation United, Elizabeth Melendez Fisher Good, uh, she has a very long, long name and a lot of last names, uh, is mm-hmm. the author of the book Groomed. Yes. And, and she had, she has a book about the, this topic as well. Uh, if people wanted to at least check out the book, uh, along with, with the foundation itself, would they be able to go through your, your foundational website? And would it be better to purchase it through the website rather than, say, Amazon or Barnes & Noble? That way the foundation gets more of the profits for for the publication. There is a special charity edition that they can buy. Um, and I would recommend that they go to freewithe.com forward slash shop. And if they go to that, then there is a special edition hardcover charity edition that they can purchase. Um, although you can, of course, purchase on Amazon or Barnes and Noble as well, uh, many, many book vendors, but that's a great resource. Not only, you know, if you, it's not a, you know, necessarily if you have to be trafficked, everybody's been groomed in some way. Everybody has been groomed for something. And it's about getting freedom from those past lies and messages that many of us have believed, but it also equips us to protect our kids. And to be able to see these grooming signs, you know, many times before it's too late. So that's a great resource, Groomed. And you can also visit us online at thefoundationunited.org. And you guys also have a social media presence as well. Other we than do, the, Instagram the and Facebook. Yeah, at the Foundation United. Perfect. Vanessa Morris, thank you so much for your time. The communications director for the Foundation United, the foundationunited.org. Uh, you're, you're doing God's work and, uh, I'm lucky enough to have gotten to speak with you today. Uh, what's one thing that you would want to tell somebody that is just about to crack that, that 
hold that, that their predator has on them or their trafficker has on them and to reach out for you to finally, you know, break through that crack that they just put in that wall. You deserve it. You were created for more. <laughs>